Good morning. I forget sometimes my mic is on. Um, anyway, my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here. just want to welcome you guys, and uh, I know you probably have already been greeted several times, but just welcome to this space today. I believe that God is going to do something amazing in this space because of what God has been doing over the last several months in the space of our hearts, especially our leadership's heart. And, and so we're just going to kind of jump in today and share some things. But it really starts back in 1995. It was my first trip to New York. I had uh, never been to a city quite like that. In fact, I was from eastern Kentucky, so the only city that I had really been to at that point uh, and spent any time in was Lexington. And Lexington's not New York. If you've been to both, you understand. And so I'd gone to New York as a part of a drama club, and if you know me, I'm not dramatic at all. I'm not a thespian. I'm not a theater person necessarily, but I had a bunch of credits I needed to fill my senior year, and somebody said, hey, if you get in drama club, it's an easy A, but you also get to take a trip to New York. And I was like, hold on, so I get to miss a few days of school and go to New York? I'm in. And so I got in this drama club and was in a few little school plays throughout the year, and it culminated all at the end of the school year getting to take this trip to New York. And so while we were there, they had arranged a couple of Broadway shows. We got to see The Lion King, which was amazing. And we got to see, at that time, not Lion King, we, we got to see Beauty and, the Be or, yes, Beauty and the Beast, and then we got to see Phantom of the Opera. And so we went to the Phantom of the Opera first, and again, this is a whole new setting for me. So I'm in this grand theater off-Broadway in this massive city that I'm already starstruck in. And so the, the musical begins, and it's drawing me in scene by scene. And I'm beginning to get acquainted after reading the, the, the playbill. I'm getting acquainted with Christine and Raul and the Phantom. And I'm beginning to get and understand the tug of war. And I'm, I'm kind of leaned in. You know, I got people beside me that are talking. and Like, hey, you know, what are we going to eat after this? That slice of pizza early. And I'm tuned in completely at this point. And so I'm on the edge of my seat. And there comes this scene where Christine and Raul are doing this number together. And the phantom is in the top of the theater, and he's angry, and he's boiling mad. And he angrily responds in revenge. And this musical number hits a crescendo. And if you've seen it, you know the chandelier comes crashing down in front of Christine. And I am sucked in. And the house lights come on. At this time, we're going to take a brief intermission, and I'm going, what? <laughs> Be sure to check out the Phantom of the Opera official merchandise and concessions. We will resume momentarily. And again, this is all new to me, and I'm going, no! We were just getting to the good part. And somebody behind me was like, whoo, thank goodness I have got to go and go quick. Other people are like, whew, I was running out of pop. Yet all these different responses to intermission. And so I kind of go out and check out the merch stand, grab another drink. And then all of a sudden the lights flickered. And I was like, what does that mean? They said, well, we're just a few minutes away from the curtain coming back up. And so we kind of move back into the theater and I get to watch this thing unfold into this beautiful telling of the phantom. 
Intermissions are needed. If you ask anybody in the theater, intermissions are these moments where you get to take a second and take a deep breath. I remember watching a guy kind of backstage during some Shakespeare in the park, and it's 100 degrees, and he couldn't wait to get to intermission. He's pouring sweat, and he's like, I can finally take a breath. Intermissions are those moments where you get to change out the set. There are things happening and cast are changing. Maybe there's somebody that wasn't in Act 1 that's going to appear in Act 2, or maybe someone's going to shift a character. There's costume changes. There's times to reset or adjust the stage for what is to come. But intermissions doesn't mean that the action necessarily stops. There was a French philosopher and writer and editor by the name of Denis Dulois, And this is what he said. He says that intermission is not a period in which the action stops, but it continues off stage behind the curtain. And so I just want to tell you, as your lead pastor and as part of leadership, we have been in an intermission. If it's felt like that to you, it's because it's been intentionally a time that we have taken the last several months, really starting back at the first of the year, and just kind of hit pause on some things and You know, we're going to continue to do Sunday, but God had begun to place some things on our heart and some shifts and some some desires were beginning to churn and and change. And and so we just needed a moment to like reset a few things. Now, if you just got here, you're probably the ones going, no, like what are we doing? But intermission is this moment where we get to, to, to just take a deep breath and begin to reset. And so back in January, God began to reset a few things. And listen, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I'm telling you, as close as I have come in mid-January of this year, it was God spoke to me and he said, and this is what he said, he said, alignment, 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 alignment. He said, in order for me to awaken a movement in Goodlettsville, I'm going to need you to align some things. And he said, Jason, he said, first and foremost, I'm going to need you to align some things between you and I. And so I began to do some hard work and began to do some prayer and began to say, okay, God, what is it that you want from me as the leader of these people? What is it that you want from me as a leader, an influential guy, gaining more and more influence in the city of Goodlesville? What is it you want? He says, I want you to be aligned. I want you to be aligned with my heart. I want your heart to beat the same as my heart beats. And so I began to uncover what that looked like. And then he, he kind of trickled. And I, I brought this to our, our lead team and our staff and our shepherds. And I said, okay, you guys are all instrumental. Each of us has a different role. God has, has called us to a line. And so we began to meet. On Tuesday nights, a lot of you probably don't even know this, we met for 10 weeks the first of the year, and we just began to say, how can we align around the heart of God? What is it that God needs us to adjust, to shift behind the curtains in order for us to better lead people in order for us to move people, in order for us to take the next step, in order for us to really go where God is wanting us to go, how do we need to align some things? How do we begin to think about and set the stage for what is next at Wellhouse? And here's, so here it is. This series is going to serve as the flashing lights. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about what God, I believe, wants to do next. But in order to do that, I'm going to kind of draw the curtain so you can see behind it a minute at what we've been resetting. And so this series is the flashing lights. The curtains aren't going to go up yet, but we're momentary, moments away from lifting the curtains on what I believe God is calling us into next. When we get into 
what we're going to call Act 2. But I don't ever want to discount what God has done in Act 1. Guys, we just came through a summer series where we heard nine stories that has changed, I believe, the trajectory of our church, has changed the mindset of our church, has caused more people to know each other better, has caused more people to realize their own story, to cause more people to realize, you know what? I'm not isolated all on an island over here by myself with the only one in this room dealing with anything. And we heard stories of redemption. We heard stories of reconciliation. We heard stories of freedom. We heard stories of faith that in the midst of some really dire circumstances says, you know what, I know that God is good regardless of what happens to me. We heard stories of how Wellhouse and how God has used this little body of people in Goodlettsville, Tennessee to change lives. Guys, we have, we have done so much in our community to be a small body. We have, we have given away hundreds of thousands of dollars into our community to help people. We have lived out the calling that we remind ourselves every week. We have been wildly generous. We have done some amazing things in this community, but I believe that God wants to do more. I believe that there's more. I believe there's one more. I believe that there, there is more stories to be told. I think there are more lives to be impacted. I think there is more breakthrough to happen. I think there is more freedom to be found. I think there is more grace and hope and salvation to be extended. I believe that there is more. I believe that there is more growth to happen. I believe that God has been up to something. Over the last several months, as he has churned in the heart of this leadership that is going to change us, it's going to change you because it's changing me, and I think it's going to change our trajectory as well, House, and I think it's going to change our community. But in order for us to move forward, here's what God did in my life. And I think he's calling you to the same thing. In order for God to move me forward, he said, Jason, I've got to move you back. I want to redirect you back. I want you to, to just take a step back, and I want you to begin to look at some basic things that you considered four and a half, five years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago, when this dream was put on your heart. I want you to begin to refocus and recenter on that, and it was really surrounding a very basic question. But here, before I put the question up that I want you to consider, here's what happened in this. What I noticed is that when I went back to this question, my appetite shifted. What I hungered for shifted. What I was thirsty for shifted. What I began to, to, to understand was that there were some things that I had elevated slightly, and not that they were bad things, but I began to elevate some things above the importance of answering this question first. What, what happened in me considering taking this step back and looking at a question that we had thought about way back here but hadn't thought about in quite some time was this, is that God, it was almost like he opened, opened some spiritual activation for me. And he says, listen, here's all I want you to do. I want you to, for the next few months, I want you to lead your leadership. I want you to lead your church through answering this question. And it's this, why are we here? Now, I'm not talking about this morning. You may be here because somebody said, if you'll come to church, I'll take you to lunch. I'm not even talking about in this space, Goodlettsville Middle. I'm, not talk I'm talking about something much, much more con con concrete than that. Why are we here? Why are we doing what we do? Why is it that we gather in this place? Why is it we call ourselves Christians? Why is it that we are trying to follow to, to, to some degree this man named Jesus? What is all this about? Why are we here? And so I began to go, okay. I'm not here just to execute 
a Sunday morning service that goes off without a hitch where everything is timed out perfectly and we hit all the production cues and we walk away and go, that was pretty smooth this morning. I'm not here just to give away money into our community. And so God began to peel these layers. Why, Jason, are you here? And I'm going to be honest, we, we spent a lot of time over the first four and a half years, a lot of energy on who we are. And that's been a great thing. You heard it in stories from chairs right here. That us presenting who we are, a community of imperfect people, how that was a hook and how that was the beginning of a walk. And we spent a lot of time talking about atmospheres that we want to create where everybody is comfortable and where everybody, you know, is, is welcome and all those kinds of things. And we have done that with excellence. And we've spent some time on how and what. You've seen over the first, if you've been with us for quite a while, you've seen our worship style change. You've seen some things change. You've seen some what we do change on Sunday mornings. You've seen how you navigate the lobby change. We've tried to shift language in, in certain things. We, we've spent a lot of time in those areas, and those things are important, and they are necessary. They're not bad. But in this next season... I want us to focus back on why. So here's what I'm wanting to do. I had somebody come a while back and they said, you know, sometimes God calls us to small degrees of shift. Take your car for an example. You turn your steering wheel two degrees. It doesn't seem like a lot. But he said, travel at two degrees for 20 miles and see what happens. He said, and sometimes just shifting back two degrees is what keeps you on the why. And I never thought about that, two degrees over time. And so for me, this is about a two-degree shift where it all began, the big why. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to venture through Acts because I think Jesus lays out the plan in the beginning, the disciples follow it through, and Luke writes about it. He says, you want to know why? Wellhouse, why you're here in 2019? He said, just venture back. And so we know these guys are in the midst of intermission. Jesus has been put on trial, falsely accused. He's been convicted. He has been put to death. The resurrection has happened. Jesus has risen from the grave. He has spent ample amount of time, weeks, with some of his closest followers. And they're all kind of huddled going, what's next? What are we supposed to do now? And this is the conversation that they begin to have right out of the gate in Acts chapter 1, before the curtain lifts in Acts chapter 2. We're going to get there next week. But he says, in the midst of intermission, let me introduce you to something. So here's what he writes. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. This is Jesus speaking. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Just a side note that I thought of this morning. Isn't it amazing that Jesus wants to take them somewhere spiritual and they try to yank him somewhere physical? 
I think sometimes, again, that's part of our, our obstacle is we're going, Jesus is trying to do this grand, great work in our lives spiritually, and we try to yank him physical. They're going, hey, Jesus, is this when the, the kingdom of Israel is going to, like, or do we get the... Do we do we get like the round table back? Do we get the, the you know do we get the land back? Do we get you know the, the the palace and the do we get all that back? Do we get notoriety back? And and Jesus just kind of brushes right through that and look what he says. He says, "Listen, it's not for you to know the times and the dates." And I'm amazed at this too because they've just seen a man come back to life and they're worried about the physical elements of this. He says, it's "Not for you to know the dates and the times the Father has set by His own authority, but." He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's what I see. He says, in the midst of intermission, while you're waiting in your Jerusalem, he said, I want to give you some things to focus on. And the way that you formulate these things, the way you come around these things, will determine your trajectory once the curtain lifts. And here's what he delivers to them. He delivers to them three elements. He delivers to them an up, he delivers to them an in, and he delivers to them an out. But what I want you to notice is as you navigate these things, these things have to be balanced in order for them to achieve what God wants to do through you. He says, listen, I want you to focus some time upward. I want you to focus some time and watch what happens transformationally inward. And I want you to be about doing something outward. And listen to what he says. Here's the, here's, here's, here's the balance that he gives. He says, there is gifts that are promised from the Father. Guys, that is a statement of inclusion and relationship. He says, there are gifts that come from the Father above, which you have already stepped into relationship with. God now is not just some king on some faraway hill that you're now bowing the knee to. He says, no, there is a, an intimacy to this. And so there has to be this upward relationship of fatherhood where I'm beginning to take my cues from. He says there is gifts that are going to come from you beginning to understand and putting all of, all of your energy into this upward relationship with God. And he says, listen, it's not just about the gifts of salvation. He says, yes, upward you'll find the gifts of salvation, but he says it's more than that. It's going to be gifts that are vital to a transformed living. In a moment of honesty, when things get tough for me, I'm a fixer. And so I go to work on trying to fix things. And I think Jesus comes along throughout his ministry and he says, listen, there are going to be certain things in life that you can't fix because you're not equipped to fix. But he said, when you step into relationship with God, he says, there are going to be gifts that are given to you that are going to allow you to live transformed in the midst of things you can't fix, but you can't do that if you spend all of your time in the in and the out and you don't spend any time in the up. He says, I'm calling you to, to these gifts that are, giving to, that are going to be given to you, not just gifts of salvation, but gifts of transformed living. We see this unfold, and you're going to see it unfold over the next few weeks as the gifts from the Father that led towards transformed living not just changed communities, but it allowed for healing and restoration and breakthrough. And then he says, he says, okay, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, in you. 
He said there is going to be something that comes from above, this relationship with God that is going to be gifted to you, and there is going to be some inward change. See, he says there is going to be this moment where God's Spirit is going to begin a work in you before he can begin to work out of you. I'm going to make this make sense in a second. And so I got to this place where I go, okay, am I allowing? Am I opened up? Am I aware? Am I even desiring? Do I have an appetite for more of the Spirit in me? Am I tuned in to what God has placed in me as a believer? Has gifted me inward as a believer? Have I let the Spirit direct me? Have I let Him comfort me? And here's one. Have I let Him discipline me? Have I let him transform me? Is his work working in me in a way that is causing me to desire more up, but is going to lead me into the out? See, all of these begin to connect. You can't just travel one of these. You've got to travel all of these in balance. And then he said there's going to be an outward expression of all this. He says, be my witnesses. And he names some cities, and then he says, to all the ends of the earth. And so that's where you and I come in. He says, as you go, as you move about, he says, he's very specific. He says, I, I don't want to make any, any, I don't want to leave any ground for interpretation here. As you are entering into relationship with the Father, as you are allowing the Spirit to transform you and empower you from the end, he says, I want to be very specific what happens in the out. He says, here's why I did what I did. Here's why I'm giving you what I'm giving you in, 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 in lieu of the Spirit. He says, here's, here's the, here's the, here it is. Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. He says, I want you to witness, I want you to illuminate me. So he lays the groundwork for this. The very first moment that Jesus opened his mouth in Matthew chapter 5, he gives his first, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. First public sermon, if you will, or his inaugural address. And Jesus barely gets anything out of his mouth when he lays the groundwork for this moment. Because here's what he says. You are to be salt. You're to be light. And not that it's hidden under this basket, but he says you're to be light. And then he goes, he says, you're to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then he gives the, the reason. So that God may be seen and glorified. And so now all of a sudden he brings this all the way to the beginning where the curtain is about to lift on this beautiful thing called the church. And he says, let me give you one more. Oh, by the way, I know you're, you're worried about the physical. And guys, I'm going to tell you, I don't, have any, I don't have any building plans to put up on the wall today. And we're thinking about that. I'll tell you, we won't be portable forever. And we're thinking about numbers. We're thinking about physical things. But I think that in order for us to get there, Jesus says, no, no, stop. 
And let's shift back. Let's just two-degree correct something. Let's shift back and begin to understand that we are here for a specific reason at a specific time. And so the question is, does the way, do, does the way I live out my life witness as I move about? So here's the big why. As I, as I let all this stuff ramble and, and rum in my head and I'm getting to pray through, here it is. Guys, we are here to move people into a life fully devoted to Jesus. Wellhouse exists to move people into a life fully devoted to Jesus. And here's where this starts. It starts with you. It starts with me. And like I said, I think for me, I spent a lot of time, and I blame it on my Enneagram 3. I spent a, time, a lot of time over the last year and a half. We made this move to Goodlitzville Middle. And I thought we were primed and ready to take the next step of growth. God had a different plan. And I got frustrated. I thought, God, what, what's the deal? Our band sounds great. Our signage can't be mistaken. I mean, people know how to get in here. Our website looks good. My three kept looking left and right and going, there has to be some reason, something I need to tinker with. Like I said, I've never heard the audible voice, but I'm telling you in January I heard God say stop looking left and right and look upward and inward. You want to know what's going to take Wellhouse to the next place? Turn your heart upward completely. Sell out. Turn inward and allow the Spirit to grab hold of your heart in ways that you can't even imagine, that you think is crazy. Seek it. I told somebody a while back, they said, what's the, what's the role of Spirit in our church? And I said, I'm not really sure, but I know I want it. I don't know what it's going to look like when it shows up, but that's not going to keep me from asking for it. And it was this moment where God just said, if you want to move Wellhouse to the next place, then simply make it about moving people into a life that's fully devoted to Jesus. Yeah, and the atmosphere of telling people that it's an imperfect community, that's great. And being able to do everything we do with excellence, he says, that's great. But if it's not moving people into a life fully devoted, if that's not the expectation, I'm going to be real honest. There's been a lot of time I've stood up here and I said, hey, I just want to let you know there is no expectation on you this morning. You will never hear me say that again. Because I believe that there is expectation when we enter this room. Anytime we enter into the throne room of God, there is an expectation for us to leave changed. And I wonder sometimes, do I enter into this room expecting God to do something amazing? 
Do I enter into my private closets in prayer time and expect God to do something amazing? Do I move into my house groups and expect God to do something amazing? There's absolutely an expectation. But it starts with me putting my mind around that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to enter into this and expect God to do something. I'm going to expect Him to move me into a life that's more fully devoted to Him. And here's the issue. Sometimes we try to take such giant steps that we get discouraged and we get frustrated. We enter into things that we don't understand or we begin to compare ourselves to other people and go, why can't I ever seem to get it like they get it? And God says, because you're trying to take too big of a step, just take a small step. Just move a little bit. And then let something happen this week. Something that started on a Sunday morning in a song or around a table or in the Word. Let, Let something happen this week move you a little more. Then get in community and connection and let it move you a little more. Or better yet, just start right here. Just start saying, God, I need you to move me before I can move my spouse, before I can move my kids, before I can move my coworkers, before I can move my my parents, before I can move my friends or my team. I need you to move me. So, We're going to focus on helping people move into a life fully devoted to Jesus. We're going to help people move from brokenness to wholeness. We're going to help people move from selfish. You guys realize we live in a really selfish culture. Narcissism runs wide and it runs deep. God says, let's help move people from selfishness to selflessness. Because that's what's going to reach the fringes. That's what's going to reach the margins. That's what's going to transform neighborhoods and cities. We're going to move people from isolation to inclusion. I want to be a part of moving people from dependence and addiction to independence and freedom. Here's one that's not real popular to talk about. I want to move people from death to life. You know, Jesus says that there are dead people walking all around us. There are lost people. Jesus said to himself, he said, listen, I ain't come for this. For, for, the, for the healthy, I came for the sick. I came to seek and save lost people. And I know it's not popular to look at people and go, well, you're lost. Now, how you approach lost people makes a difference. And so I'm not advocating that we go out and start making people real uncomfortable with how weird we are. But I'm going to start to navigate conversations and I'm going to begin to look and say, we live in a really dark, broken world. So what's my role in that? I'm going to love people with the light, the salt, going to be a city. We're going to move people. Here's the catch to it. I'm going to put that back up for a second. To move people into a life fully devoted to Jesus. Guys, Jesus has to be the centerpiece of this. Jesus is the center of it all. And here's why. Because he and he only has the authority and the power to change lives in an eternal 
everlasting way. I'll give you some things that we've talked a lot about. Generosity, wild generosity, is good. You do realize, though, that there are lots of people who are probably way more generous than we are. Generosity is good. But without Jesus, generosity is just helping people find clothing, food, housing, getting them to a physical next step. So the last thing I want to be is a generous church that doesn't help people find Jesus. You've heard us talk a lot about community. Guys, community's good. But you realize that community exists outside of church, right? I know a whole group of people right now. Titans are hosting an open practice this morning from 10 to 12, 15. I was there yesterday. There's a whole community of people there. Identify with something common. They're high-fiving. They're groaning that Marcus missed a catch and gasped because he went to the ground. Like, is this a year he's going to get hurt again? I don't know. But there's community that exists over at St. Thomas Sports Park this morning. So what separates our community? Jesus. Jesus is what separates this community from any other community. You realize that Sunday morning gathering is, is good. But again, we're not the only people that gather. It's Jesus that makes our community, our, our gathering special. You realize that family is good. But we're not the only ones that gather in the name of family. Jesus is what causes us to be family. Let me hit you with a big one. You realize that faith is good, but there's all kinds of people who have faith. Faith in their own bank accounts. Faith in their 401s. Faith in this next election that things will continue or be corrected, whichever side of the fence you sit on. We put faith in all kinds of things. But it's only when we put faith in Jesus that things really begin to change in an everlasting, eternal way. So here's what I'm saying. I don't want to just be moving people. I want to be moving people towards something, someone. Moving people towards Jesus. Paul writes a guy named Philemon, and here's what he says. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may come active. He says that it may be moving toward deepening your understanding of every good thing we share is for the sake of Jesus. Now get this. He says, I, I, want, I want this partnership that you have and the faith that you have to be moving toward a deeper understanding that everything we do, community, generosity, family, meeting, faith, all these things, that all of these good things we share for the sake of Jesus. It's Jesus. So as we land this morning, guys, I know, and here's the battle that's been in my head all week. I kept getting told this week by a voice that was not of God, that's all you got? Jason, that's not big vision. That's not grand vision. A church building. That's grand vision. That's why everybody's going to show up. They want to know when we get out of this hot gym. 
grand vision is I couldn't even fill in the blanks but I kept getting this voice that said that's not that's not grand that's not huge I had a peace this morning that came over me where God spoke and he said how is people how, how, how is calling people into a life that's more devoted to me not enough God said how, how is calling people to a deeper craving of me in this next season in act two how's that not enough Jason and as quick as the voices came in they, they went out and you may walk away and go well, I really thought I was going to be here for a building. Well, I want to point you in 15 other directions this morning where you'll get all the show and no glow you want. But I want us to be a place that's centered around Jesus and moving people, starting with ourselves, into a relationship fully devoted. So, so I'm going to leave you with this. I think that small things grow into great things. Small things grow into great things. I didn't give you anything that was earth-shattering this morning. I gave you a series of small things. I'm going to look at my up. I'm going to look at my in. I'm going to make sure that when I'm going out, that the up and the in are driving the out. So here's what I want to ask you as partners. Will you commit, as we are going to commit, to the seemingly small things? Will you show up? Let me be pastorly. Will you show up on time? No, no, hear me out. What if God wants to speak to you today, but the song that he had ready and loaded for your heart was the first song, and you missed it because you hit the snooze one more time, or you had to make the Starbucks run, or you couldn't stop talking about the Titans in the foyer to get in here. But will we show up? Show up to a house group. Show up and be ready to serve. Will we, will we, will we dive in? Volunteering and serving in ways. Guys, there's, a, there's, there's 20 different ways you can volunteer and serve. We need people and kids. Man, talk about an opportunity to shape and mold and move people. They might be little people, but they're people into this wonder and this awe that they have about a God who created them. Dive in and help set up chairs. Can I be honest? We've got some people who've been on setup from day one and they're tired. And while there's a building coming someday that God is gonna gift us, until then, we're going to set up chairs. And here's why we set up chairs. So that somebody can come in and sit in that chair and be moved into a life that's a little more devoted to Jesus. Dive in and stand out on the porch when it's a little bit warm. But greet somebody with a smile. Our welcome team, it matters. And then will you, will you go deeper? In your personal time, 
Will you go deeper? Will you begin to say today, God, I want more of you. I'm going to look upward. And I'm going to entrust that you'll do something inward. I want to rebalance these things. I want to allow space to hunger and thirst. Stand with me. Who, who, who wants more? As you look at the current place that you are in in this thing called Christianity, your walk with God, I mean, who, who, who wants more? Who wants to move into a deeper walk? Who wants to move a neighbor? into a deeper walk? Who wants to move a spouse into a deeper walk? Who wants better relationships? And this is what Paul says. Paul said to a church who was trying to find its identity. They were discouraged and frustrated and is this ever going to go anywhere? And here's what Paul told them. He says, I am sure of this. That God who began a great work will see it through to full completion. So I know, I'm sure, that God who began a great work in a little clubhouse called the Maples and moved it to the Rivergate Skate Center and moved it to Goodlettsville Middle who has begun a great work will see it through to completion. So here's where we're going to start. So this is where it gets practical and I want to invite you into something. We're going to pray first. I believe that in every significant moment of God, every movement of God, it begins with prayer. If you keep reading in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says they did exactly what he told them. They went to Jerusalem. It says they went to an upper room, and they all joined together in constant prayer. So that's what I want to invite you to. I want you to pray first. So on your way out today, you're going to be able to get a handbook, a journal. I want you to know that it's not to be used from page 1 to page 64. You dive in wherever you are. There's a table of contents, and there's all sorts of prayers. There are going to be prayers in here that's going to guide you towards the Lord's Prayer. There's going to be praying scriptures. There's going to be warfare prayers. There are going to be prayers. I know that some of you this week have court dates. I know that some of you have doctor's appointments and you feel like, that you know what, there's something warring against me. There's prayers that are going to help you. There's going to be verses. There's going to be opportunities for you to write these things out. There's going to be prayers for those who need God, prayers for, for personal things in your life. And so here's what we're going to do over the next six weeks. We're going to commit ourselves to praying. So pray first. Before your day begins, pray first. Before you go to bed, pray first. That's what your leadership's been doing. In this season of intermission, we have gone to our knees and we have begun to pray. Pray first. Pray before you go to work. <laughs> pray before you make that post. Pray when good things are happening, when bad things are happening, or when bad things are about to happen. Pray first. I hope you're encouraged. I hope that you have gotten a glimpse of what I believe God is wanting to do. If not, come back next week. When the curtain lifts, you'll see exactly what God did when these few individuals began to look up, allow the Spirit to come in, and they went out, and they did something amazing. Father, this morning, 
As we sang earlier, will you be enthroned upon the praises of our heart? God, can we just declare that you are the king and that you are the center of it all? God, for those of us who haven't always put you at the center, we've put our talent at the center. We've put our ability to organize at the center. We've put our ability to event plan at the center. God, we, we repent of that and we put you back at the center of this. We, we shift two degrees and let you know that everything we do, the how, the what, will, will be focused around the why. And Father, as, as we make that declaration, that commitment, we pray that you move us. You move me. You move our leadership. You move our house group leaders. You move our kids volunteers. You move our student volunteers. You move our setup crew. You move our welcome team. You move everyone into a life fully devoted to Jesus. And God, I pray that everything we do, everything that comes out of our mouth, moves someone. God, we prayed in the beginning of this movement that if this is from you, it would not fail. But if not, it would fall to the ground. And God, it has not failed. So again, as we move into act two, where again, we are just, it, it, it doesn't seem like earth shattering things, but God, it is. And you know that you have placed it on our hearts as so. So again, we declare it as truth. We declare it as a craving. We declare it as a desire to be moved in order to be a part of a church that moves Father, again, we're so grateful for who you are, who you've created us to be, and who you've given us the second chance to live as. Thank you, Jesus.